It is week eight. It is the TD Club. I am Sean Curtis at Sean Curtis four three zero on Twitter. Mike Mastovich across the table from me in the TD studio. He can be found on Twitter at Masty eighty one. And week seven had a big game. We we like big games. We talk about big games often. Wimber Berlin. It was a two touchdown victory for Wimber, but I think it was everything that we anticipated in terms of a Berlin playing Wimber a lot tighter than people expected. And B, Wimber had to play four quarters, but not everybody made it four quarters. Yeah, this was an old-fashioned high school football rivalry uh, at the Snyder Berlin Complex. As we said, uh, the old cliche during the game, we were talking on the side, so it's a sea of blue because both teams, their prominent colors, blue. There were just so many fans filled up uh, both sides of that stadium. And if you've been at Berlin, you know they're – there's where the concession stand is at the entrance. It's like multi-tiered levels, and that was filled up with people leaning on the fences and everything. It was just a great atmosphere away from the field. Then, then on it, man, it was a physical, hard-hitting game. People uh, people getting injured, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, and um, just so, so many big hits and big plays. But um, as you said, Berlin played it tough. Now, early on, Wimber, uh, John Schuster, their star back, he uh, scored two first-quarter touchdowns on a 22-yard perfectly played screen and an 11-yard run. So it's 14-0 in the first quarter. Wimber, you think, okay, maybe the Ramblers are just going to roll like they've done every week. But then Berlin stepped up. They're right there. Uh, They moved inside the 10 on one drive. Uh, I believe they got to the four, lost a fumble. And their defense really stepped up. Forced a punt, got the ball back at the Wimber 40. You think, okay, maybe they'll get back in this game on this drive. And they fumbled it on the first play. Wimber gets it back. So it was 14-0 much of the game. And then uh, Wimber trying to do a couple things maybe to to put that final nail in. And uh, Berlin's Carson Harding intercepts a pass, returns at 87 yards for a pick six, makes it 14-6. Meanwhile, Wimber had lost a lot of key players, Johnny Schuster, he uh, aggravated an injury that he had last year. Aiden Gray, the quarterback who's been starting for the past couple of years, he goes out. Dylan Tomlinson, a senior playmaker, he goes out. Uh, Grohall, the, Matt Grohall, the coach, said a lot of those injuries were cramp-type injuries, which were because of what we talked about the last few weeks. None of their starters had to be in games more than a quarter or two because they were just beating teams so badly, and Matt Grohall didn't want to rub it in or look, you know, win without class. So those two guys... I think might have been on the cramp type side because nobody's telling you the official stuff. Just uh, after the game, Matt Grohall said most of the injuries were cramp, though Schuster was something a bit more serious. So Nick Dom comes in, uh, a senior, and he runs 16 yards for a touchdown, makes it 20 to 6. Berlin's driving, they're within sight of the end zone a couple times. And uh, the last time, Keith Charney and Wimber makes an interception in the end zone, seals a 20 to 6 victory for the Ramblers. Wimber is 7-0. They're idle this week. Berlin is 6-1, and and we'll talk about this later. They have another huge home game against an undefeated team in Portage this week. And getting back to those injuries, I you know, you hate to see them happen, and I, I think for Wimber, you know, sitting the kids with the cramps was err on the side of caution. You know, with Schuster, you hope that, you know, while it's an aggravation of a previous injury, it's nothing serious. But... You know, did Matt say anything about you know finally getting that team, finally getting his team, or at least most most of his team to play four quarters? Yes, uh, he kept saying the quote that we used throughout that story that he kept repeating because I, I think it, it really was what he meant. You know, a lot of times coaches will do coach speak. He kept saying 
We needed this. They didn't need the injuries, of course. He said, we needed this. We needed our guys to be in this game playing four quarters. And he told the guys that were hurt, a lot of this is because of, you know, you've only played a quarter, a quarter and a half, two quarters for most of the other games. And one of his quotes that he gave me was, we're just not conditioned the way we should be. And he said, that's not a knock on the guys not from not working hard. He said his quote in it practices, we can run gassers until the cows come home is what he said. But until you are running and playing and being hit in a game, especially against a team like Berlin Brothers Valley, it's just so good and fundamentally sound. You know, until you get that experience, you're not conditioned the way other teams that have played six or seven games are conditioned right now. And uh, he did say they were going to look for a an opponent this week originally. But then when all these guys got banged up, they decided let's take the bye week, which was originally the week they were supposed to play Bishop Carroll. And as we talked about throughout the year, Bishop Carroll co-ops with McCourt. So all these Westpac teams that had Carroll on the schedule have either had to find new opponents or taken a week off. So he said that if they played this week, John Schuster would not be able to play. He did say the other two guys probably would be able to play, and he said he feels they'll definitely those two guys, Tomlinson and Gray, would be available next week for that game. Next week they'll be facing Portage, which could decide the Westpac. We'll talk about what Portage can do to get to that point when we get to our Week 8 stuff. Bedford at Central, another crucial matchup, two 6-0 teams. Central won this one 41-27, and it can be argued maybe it wasn't as close as the score indicated because you have the Scarlet Dragons going off and scoring 28 points in the second, never really looked back or really had to look back. And Central, we we talk about the offense so much. We're finally starting to mention the defense in you know the past couple of weeks. They bottled up Mercury Swain probably as good as any team has. He only had 89 yards on the ground. But also that was a byproduct of Bedford just not being able to run the ball like it wants to. There was a special teams touchdown by the Scarlet Dragons on a punt attempt in the second quarter. Really put the game away, made it 27-7. Bedford just couldn't come back from that. Now Central is 7-0. They're the only unbeaten team in the LHAC, and they have beaten really anybody who could be a contender to that crown. Yeah, there would have to be some kind of incredible upset that we'd all be freaking out about on this podcast after that. Uh, but Central, I mean, they are, we, we've said it so many times, they just are so solid. Um, now, in hindsight, I look at the coaches' pool, the preseason pool, and they were somewhere in the middle of the pack, right? Uh, no, no, they, they were second. Okay, they were second. All right. Okay, second I thought third. maybe they were, they were a little lower. But, I mean, they, they just are so solid. A lot of people um, who just follow football, not so much one team, have said that they've watched them either on TV or at the games and just can't believe how solid this team is. Actually, going back into my memory, it was Bedford, Richland, and then Central. Okay. So Central yeah. was picked to be third. But a lot of people, when you talk to them, you know, they didn't really know how Central was going to mesh in with the LHAC, knowing that Central was very good. Yeah. But also, <laughs> you know, playing team because it was an unknown on both sides. Yeah, and they're all-state quarterback. Jeff Hohenstein, he is just shy of 1,800 passing yards, and uh, I believe he broke broke some school records uh, in the past couple weeks as well. So that that guy's just unbelievable, and they, they, they've got the running backs to compliment him. They've, they've got the huge physical line. Uh, they're just a, a great team to watch. I was able to see them a couple weeks in a row because they had a couple big games against our area teams, and I saw them – you know, play at Richland and, and against Penn Cambria on their home turf. So uh, 
yeah, they, they are the real deal. Black Lake Valley was at Con, or actually at Shade to play Conwell Township. And it's looking like the Indians are starting to figure it out a little bit. Yeah, in this game, uh, Black Lake Valley had an early lead, uh, 7-0 lead, and they were driving again when uh, their quarterback, Colton Shimshock, was injured and lost lost uh, for the game to injury. Conwell Township's defense really stepped up at that point. And then, as you said, Tanner Shirley, the quarterback, who's just been phenomenal all year, uh, he did his party through a couple of touchdown passes. He ran for another score. Uh, Jackson Byer has been the, the big-time receiver. Uh, also, um, you know, they, they threw for like a 79-yard touchdown. Uh, just just a lot of good things happen for for the Indians, and they're starting to come, you know, right back into that picture uh, of a very solid program. Westmont Hilltop at Forest Hills. This is a 21-19 victory for the Hilltoppers. You had two teams sitting at 2-4 and four going into this game. It was a must-win for both teams all and my philosophy is that every game is a must-win if it's on the schedule, but this was more of a must-win. And it produced an absolutely wild final six minutes. Forest Hills had just pulled within 21-19. So they attempt an onside kick. They recover. But there was a flag on the play for targeting during the scrum. So that was going to push Forest Hills back 15 yards no matter what. There was a lengthy discussion by the officiating crew. It was determined that the ball did not travel 10 yards before a Forest Hills player touched the football. So it was a re-kick. Another pretty heated scrum. This time it was recovered by Westmont Hilltop, pretty deep in Forest Hills territory. The Hilltoppers get the ball to the Forest Hills 10-yard line. An absolutely great stop by Damon Crawley in the open field. Stops Westmont on fourth down. Forest Hills gets the ball with about four minutes to go. Takes the ball pretty deep into Westmont Hilltop territory. The drive sputters out. And so you didn't get that fairy tale ending. I mean, it might have been a fairy tale ending for Westmont, but you didn't get that fairy tale comeback ending for Forest Hills. But everything else that you could have wanted in a football game was in this game. And it was a big win for the Hilltoppers. They're now three and four, and they're going into a very big game with Chestnut Ridge in week eight. And that could do a lot to determine whether or not Westmont Hilltop is going to be seeing action in November. Could do a lot to determine what Chestnut Ridge is going to be doing in November. I, a couple of takeaways from this that I saw because I was there. Westmont Hilltop rushed for 187 yards in the first half. Absolutely dominated time of possession. They ran 32 plays to Forest Hills' as 10. You don't see that. And... These weren't three-and-out possessions by Forest Hills. They were just, there was a drive that ended in a fumble three plays in. Forest Hills had a very quick six-play touchdown drive. And then the last play of the half was Forest Hills trying to do something, quarterback sack, that was it. Um, Damon Crawley, who we talked about last week, he rushed for 155. We talk about Damon Crawley every week. But he rushed for 155 yards. Gavin Hockenberry of Westmont Hilltop, actually rushed for 134 yards on the ground. So it was a very well-played game. Uh, two very distinct styles, as we've talked about Westmont Hilltop. They're going to run that double tight, double wing. It's just going to be a lot of confusion, a lot of misdirection. They got the tosses working to Hockenberry, and I think that was a big part of their success because that was something that Forest Hills just could not contain. And Forest Hills is just going to come at you in a number of different ways. It was just an excellent football game. 
And you look at the records and go, okay, well, three and four and two and five, you know, how good could it be? This was probably one of the better games I've seen in person in quite a bit. So just a little bit of editorializing, but this was a very good football game. Connemaw Valley at Myersdale, big win for the Blue Jays. And again, here's another team that's starting to figure it out a little bit. Yeah, Connemaw Valley, they just continue to get the job done on the ground. They have 428 rushing yards, and it was a 50-8 to victory at Myersdale, a nice road win for the Blue Jays. Uh, Myersdale still uh, winless, the, the Blue Jays up at the 500 mark. So Nick Heltzel for the Blue Jays had a team-high 198 rushing yards and five touchdowns on eight carries. That's, That's phenomenal. <laughs> and Logan Kent, who was the go-to guy, um, he gained 169 yards, went over 1,000 rushing yards for the season, and uh, helped his team climb to 500. So they're, uh, you know, still in the mix. And uh, for Myersdale, Dalton Sellers, the quarterback, threw 14 yards to Drake Sellers. That was the uh, Red Raiders' only touchdown. Then Dalton Sellers had the two-point conversion run, which uh, produced Myersdale's only other two points. So, uh, you know, Connemaw Valley, as you said, looking pretty positive with a long drive and a, a win. Moving on to some Week 8 stuff. Penn Cambria is at Bedford. We talked about the Bisons. They fell to Central 41-27. Penn Cambria did not play last week. They forfeited to Richland. COVID-19 issues. So back-to-back weeks, it was looking like Penn Cambria was going to go through the meat grinder a little bit. They took that forfeit loss to Richland. Now they've got Bedford looking for a bounce back. So this, this could be a very interesting game for both the Panthers and the Bisons. And, more, and what might be more compelling is... You've got two dual-threat quarterbacks in Garrett Harold and Mercury Swain. Mike, you've got numbers. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys have just been phenomenal. Uh, you know, on the ground, uh, Harold, he's uh, 753 rushing yards even with one week off. And Mercury Swain, 704 rushing yards. And then uh, with the passing, Harold is in the uh, top five with one th- or with 954 passing yards, 63 of 110. And Mercury Swain, 32 of 60 for 620 passing yards. So both of those guys, they can get it done either way. And they're both, beyond just the numbers, they're both um, just football smart guys that just seem to make the right call, the right play at the right time. Mike Mastovich is going to be back in Berlin. He's going to see the Porter's Mustangs that we mentioned earlier. And this could create a little bit of chaos in the West Pack. Yeah, Portage six and zero coming off an idle week, uh, so they, they've um, you know kind of been sitting back and waiting. Berlin, as we said, is six and one after that tough home loss to Wimber. The Mustangs with that wing T ground game, they've been balanced. Oren Heidler, he's uh, rushing for five hundred seventy seven yards and ten scores. John Wolford, five hundred thirty six yards and seven TDs. Caden Clark, three hundred fourteen yards on the ground and seven touchdowns. I mean that's. Pretty formidable stuff. And then, you know, the Mustangs can mix in a pass, too, when they need to. So um, <clears throat> they're, they're looking pretty tough. Then Berlin, you know, we've been talking about their great passing game. Sophomore quarterback Pace Prosser is throwing for 1,186 yards, 12 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. Um, and one was against the Ramblers last week. And then Ryan Bluebaugh is the big playmaker with 39 receptions, 545 yards, seven touchdowns. So, uh you know, it's going to be a pretty neat contrast there with the ground game and the, and the passing game. Um, and I expect another huge crowd. It just won't be all blue. There's going to be a lot of green there this week. 
And what can make this um, just absolutely chaotic is a Portage win sets up an unbeaten versus unbeaten showdown against Winber next week. Yep. A Berlin win sets up a situation where if Portage were to beat Winber in Week 9, now you've got a three-way tie atop the West Pack. And the West Pack champion goes on to play the Heritage Conference champion in the Appalachian Bowl. So in this hypothetical, did they go with a Rose Bowl roll? Uh, I think there's something like that happened a few years ago. That's a good question, and um, I would have to look that up to make sure. <laughs> so, but the results have to happen as we yeah. gained them out, which we cannot guarantee. Yeah, anything can happen. I've and, taken a beating on the picks in the last couple of weeks, so obviously I cannot guarantee results. Yeah, same thing here. <laughs> Greater Johnstown is at Richland, and Richland got that forfeit victory over Penn Cambria. And Richland was seeking a game last week, couldn't find one. But maybe after that loss to Central, the unplanned bye week was good for Richland? Yeah, and I mean, it also, just like any other team at this point, uh, it gives you a chance to get a little bit healthy. Um, even if somebody doesn't have a serious injury this far in the season, everybody's dealing with those bangs and bruises and, uh, you know, maybe – this gives you a chance to get a little bit back on that end and uh, with Brandon Bailey and his staff, a little extra time to plan too. Greater Johnstown was blank last week against Somerset in week seven. They just have not been able to put put it together for four quarters against anybody. They came close in a couple instances, mainly against Bishop McCourt all the way back in week two. Uh, Kellen Stahl of Richland, he's passed for 1,213 yards. He's kind of the key cog in that offense and you know just a lot of weapons for Richland, but I think Kellen Stahl is the big name that kind of makes everything go. And this is a Richland team that's averaging 47 points in its four on-field wins. And coincidentally, Greater Johnstown is allowing 47 points per game this year. So could you at least maybe wager that, maybe wager is not the best word here, but you know, could you maybe presume that Richland's going to score 47 points this week? Yeah, I would say uh, the only thing for Johnson is last week, uh, the 26th they allowed to Somerset. I mean, that was a battle of two teams looking for their first win. Uh, that was the season best for Johnstown's defense. Um, I, I have that written for my preview. I think before that 26, everybody had scored in the mid-40s or even three teams I think had 50 or more. So they, they did better defensively last week than they had, but you're going to be facing a Richland team that just – you know, has so many guys that can make big plays. I mean, in addition to Stahl, who can pass and run, you know, Graydon Lewis, 23 catches, 480 yards. Griffin LaRue, 28 catches, 418 yards. And they, they've uh, got guys like Sam Penn has been making big plays. Just a lot of guys uh, can, can do a lot of things with the Rams. Cambria Heights is at River Valley, and River Valley took a loss last week. The Panthers lost to Homer Center. So this is not a battle of unbeatens in the Heritage Conference, but given Cambria Heights' victory over Homer Center all the way back at week one, this could determine who the Heritage Conference champion is going to be, especially with a Cambria Heights win. Yeah, Cambria Heights' uh, entrance into the Heritage Conference has been uh, as good as you can get. 7-0 and overall, 6-0 and in the conference play. Uh, River Valley, as you said, they lost to Homer Center in overtime, so it wasn't like uh, you know just uh, some blowout game. But uh, River Valley, also new to the Heritage, a program that's a merger of uh, Blairsville and Salzburg. The, the Panthers 6-1, and one, that overtime loss to Homer Center. Uh, talking to Jared Lewis this week, he said, hey, he's fully aware that River Valley 
was missing a couple key players. Uh, one of them was the Heritage Conference leading rusher, Angelo Bartolini, due to injury. Bartolini, 938 rushing yards, 17 touchdowns. That's a pretty big piece uh, to be missing. Also uh, out with an injury last week was uh, Sincere McFarlane. 238 rushing yards, not bad, but he has five TDs as well. So uh, Coach Lewis said he expects to see both of those guys back this week, uh, or he's planning to face those guys. Uh, obviously, he doesn't know um, you know what what's going to happen with the other team. Uh, the Highlanders, their leading rusher, Ryan Haluska, 726 yards, 14 TDs on the ground. But last week, he had a good game, but um, the Highlanders used a few other playmakers in a 49-12 win over Penn's Manor, and that bodes well. They, they uh, showed a lot of different things in their offense last week that they hadn't used. Uh, guys like Tanner Tribbis and, uh, of course, quarterback Ty Starkey, they each had huge games. And adding to that, uh, the depth of playmaking is just going to make – the Highlanders even more dangerous. So this ought to be a, a pretty interesting matchup, undefeated against one, one lost team that was missing some key starters last week in that loss. So interesting matchup. All right, and this uh, little dive away from the Week 8 discussion is directed at River Valley. It's not intended to mock or really even like question or chide the decision. But River Valley, which you can surmise that the River in River Valley comes from both communities, Blairsville and Salzburg, being along the Connemaw River. Connemaw, translated from the Lenape language, means Otter Creek. Now, they went and nicknamed the new school Panthers. How cool would it have been had they gone with otters? Yeah, that would be neat. This is a missed opportunity, guys. I, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not mocking you guys. You, you made your choice. Some sharp uniforms, some sharp colors, but... I think you missed a golden opportunity not going with otters. Yeah. Hey, they, they do have a really cool look, too, uh, and having a good football team also helps. Chestnut Ridge is at Westmont Hilltop. And speaking of looks, you're going to see Westmont in red on a Friday night, which just does not compute in my brain. But it's going to be what's going to happen on Friday at Trojan Stadium. It's a home game for the Hilltoppers at their home away from home as Pricefield is going to be going under renovations in the near future. And it's something we'll need to get used to because we've talked about it before. They're getting lights at Pricefield. They're going to start playing a lot of games on Friday night. Yeah, I've seen the plans for that stadium and uh, fantastic. A lot of major improvements, some reconfiguring, and it's going to be right up there uh, with, you know, we've had some great improvements, renovations in recent years. Central Cambria comes to mind as a, a really cool one. And I mean, Forest Hills is absolutely Forest palatial Hills, yeah. now. And then uh, you're going to see Westmont Hilltop in that mix as well. Hilltopper stopped a two-game skid after losses to Bedford and Bishop Guilfoyle last week at Forest Hills in the game we talked about. Chestnut Ridge, they've won two straight. They beat Greater Johnstown and then Bishop Guilfoyle. Big win over the Marauders, and it's not always a guarantee for the Lions. So they're flying pretty high at four and three. And here's a case where it's going to be, I don't want to say contrasting styles because we've mentioned it before on the podcast, Westmont is throwing the ball a little bit more than what we're used to seeing out of Westmont. But Gavin Hockenberry... He leads the Hilltoppers with 508 yards on the ground and also 376 receiving yards. So as he goes, so do the Hilltoppers. And then you've got Nate Weissong, the multi-faceted quarterback for Chestnut Ridge. He's passed for 1,111 yards. He's third in a very balanced rushing attack with 332 yards, also seven TDs. 
And then Trevor Wyatt, who is just an absolute burner, has 33 catches for 474 yards. So this could be – this could almost be a track meet. And this is a place where Chestnut Ridge two weeks ago put up 53 points. So they're probably happy to see that turf again. Yeah, without a doubt. And you had mentioned uh, Westmont's passing. I mean, it's it's been probably years since uh, a Hilltopper as quarterback was listed among the passing leaders. But there he is, Eli Thomas, 26 of 53 for 583 passing yards. So, And, you know, watching that passing game win, Westmont would attempt to pass. It's not all just tight and inside stuff. They, they'll spread guys out. Not out of the formation, but, like, once the ball is snapped. So that's something that, if you're not expecting it, that plays a lot to their advantage. Yeah. Mike, you've got stats. You've got numbers. Yeah, we, me with them. We've went through a, a few of them, so I'm going to hit a couple uh, different things I received this week from different coaches and things. So um, all-state linebacker from Blackwood Valley, Nate Schilling, uh, Rich Price sent me an email just to alert me to the fact that uh, Nate Schilling, the middle linebacker, a senior, he had 22 tackles. Uh, last week, including 18 solo with one forced fumble, one pass defended. But the historical part of that is that got Nate within 15 tackles of tying the Blackwood Valley School career record of 411. Uh, this is from Rich Price, and Price said that uh, he currently has 396, so uh, perhaps a record, a uh, career record, is in, in the future for uh, Nate Schilling. So. That is an unreal amount. Yeah, and, and uh, back to the more traditional offensive stats. Uh, we had mentioned Damon Crawley, four steals. He's still the leading rusher with 1,425 rushing yards. As we said, Logan Kent went over 1,000. He's at 1,054. Uh, Conwell Township, that passing game, Jackson Byers, the leading receiver with 577 yards. Blue Ball, I had mentioned, at 545. And Richland's Graydon Lewis at 480 receiving yards. And right behind them, as you mentioned, Trevor Wine at 474. So uh, a couple big play playmakers there. In the scoring, uh, John Schuster, despite the injury last week, he scored two touchdowns before that. So he's up to 19 touchdowns in an area best 116 points. Crawley's not far behind with uh, 15 TDs, 98 points. And Haluska at Cambria Heights has 90 points, with also has 15 TDs. Uh, kick scoring, Portage is Dylan Tubbs at 34 points. Uh, he is 28 of 30 on extra points and two of four of field goals. And Jordan Wright of Wimber, 31 of 34 on extra points and 31 points uh, second in kick scoring. And then punting, uh, Jackson Byer, Conwell Township, nine for uh, an average of 41.4. And Bryson Hetz of Myersdale, 10 punts for an average of 37.2. And... Uh, Interceptions, Dylan Tomlinson with five, and Westmont's Nate Valente with four. So that's a few of the stats out there that maybe we didn't talk about during the other stuff. All right, and uh, as we uh, bring this episode of the TD Club to a close, Mike Mastovich, I'm going to ask you a very brief question. I, I got to ask you, in your uh, many years of, uh, doing, of doing this, you know, writing for the Tribune Democrat, covering high school sports, what is the longest site that you've gone to in back-to-back weeks to cover high school football? Because Berlin, it's a yeah. nice little hike from downtown Johnstown. Yeah, that is. I think it registered as something like 86 miles round trip. Uh, I worked from the Sheets in Somerset out there last week, and I plan to do the same this week. I'm trying to think if I had any others like that. Um, <clears throat> I did have 
different sport, uh, but back in the day when uh, track and field, they would have the West Central coaches meet is at Altoona. And that was such a huge meet in terms of numbers and classifications, boys and girls. That would last in the old days before they got their system down. That would last sometimes you'd be driving home at 1.32 in the morning from that meet. And then the next morning I would cover, that time it was called the Appalachian meet. It was at Marion Center. So that so you're driving about a hundred miles round trip to Altoona the one day, and I can't remember what the trip is to Marion Center, but it's much it's longer than that. Oh, I mean it's Indiana plus <laughs> yeah. fourteen. Yeah, so that's uh, so that that was those are for back to back days, especially with the hours because the Appalachian meet was during the day. So and like you're you leaving would at night, yeah, that sun yeah. at Marion Center because there yep. were no trees yep. anywhere near. Yep, and uh, so I remember that that being a long <laughs> long turnaround for back to back days. So. All right, sounds good, Mike. Week eight, we are we, we see the finish line for the regular season, but that's only part of the race because we got the postseason coming up. So, I, anything that uh, you know you're looking to uh, as we wrap up this regular season in the next three weeks? Well, yeah, the uh, obviously with these rival games in the Westpac and this everybody's talking this could possibly be the last year of the Westpac, depending on what happens. And uh, you know, you got the big three there with uh, Wimber. Portage in Berlin, Heritage. It's going to be interesting to see if Cambria Heights can maintain what they've done in their first year in the conference. It's been pretty awesome for them. And the Laurel Highlands. It's like uh, Central looks like um, you know they're they're the team that's going to win the title. But what's going to happen right below them? With uh, there's a couple of heavyweights right there with Bedford, Richland, Penn, Cambria. The other question mark. Uh, Ligonier Valley had that five and zero start. They got ravaged by injuries. Had a forfeit last week. So they're. They're playing a, a winless team uh, this week. It's simply that uh, all the injuries are uh, enable them to play. Um, we haven't had any report so far that they're not playing. So it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if Ligonier Valley rebounds uh, the way that pretty much everybody expects that they'll be able to rebound. All right, sounds good uh, for Mike Mastovich on Twitter. He can be found at Masty81. I am Sean Curtis at Sean Curtis 430. And this has been another episode of the TD Club, and congratulations, you have made it to the end.